Father, we are grateful because you love us so much. We are grateful, Father, because every word that you speak to us is wonderful and is good. It may pierce our hearts, but Lord, it is from a place of love. And so, Lord, we sit in a posture of receiving from you because we know these are words of love from you. Would you speak to me and would you speak to us? And this we pray in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, the someone today, I have titled it, Don't Be Crushed. Don't Be Crushed. And I'll start off with a verse, one single verse, and then we'll build up from there. Uh, and I pray that God will minister to our hearts. We are basing this from John 16.33. John 16.33. And I request all of us to read it. John 16.33. I have... I'd like to insist on the words uh, in yellow. That here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. These are the words that Jesus Christ spoke to his disciples and to us by extension. That in this world and on this earth, we will have many trials and sorrows. Now, help me preach by sharing with your neighbor some sorrow that somebody else may face. Maybe not you, but maybe you had somebody at work went through a particular sorrow or a particular trial. What sorrows and trials could we face in our day-to-day? It could be in our family, in our business, in our day-to-day. Talk to a neighbor. Indeed, there are many sorrows, eh? Okay, okay. It could be that one of the sorrows is that you are praying for something and that you are trusting God to come through in a particular way. And it could be you have prayed for so long and you have been so patient, it has been several decades and you are still waiting for God to answer that prayer and he hasn't yet done what you expected him to do. That is one of the sorrows that we may face. Another one is uh, expecting God to come through in a particular way. And you've waited, you've done your bit, you've been faithful, you've had faith, but yet he has not done that which you expected him to do. It could be that you have suffered loss or persecution because you're a believer. You lost that job because you could not give a bribe, and you are discriminated against because you're a believer. It could be that you have had luck, and I'm not talking about luxuries here. I'm talking about basic things. You lacked school fees for your children, and you lacked one or two things that are very important to you. It could be sickness. It could be a common cold, or it could be a terminal illness. But sickness is part of that sorrow. Thank you. Eh, is someone umkaskia marambili, eh? Musposkia hapa, mutaskia pale. Bwana Yesu asifiwe. 
it could be that you have lost somebody, somebody close to you, a family member, a friend. And grief is one of those things that really puts us down. And it's one of those trials and sorrows that we may face in life. It could be that you lost your job unjustly or you faced any kind of unjust situation in your life or in your family. These are just but part of sorrows and trials that we go through. Now, these sorrows have the ability to crush us or not to crush us. Allow me to define what crush is as I'm using it in this sermon today. So you can quote me somewhere and say, uh, Joseph Kibet 2022. Crash in this context is where you lose hope in, and, and you stop trusting in God such that you stop praying, you stop trusting in God, you stop waiting on God, you stop seeking him, you stop obeying him, and you just live for yourself. So when I say don't be crushed, I mean don't give up on God. I mean, keep hope alive. Keep holding on to him. Don't stop praying. Don't stop trusting him. Don't stop serving. Don't stop waiting on him. Hold on to him with everything that you have and that you are. Why could these sorrows and trials crush us? I have four reasons why I think sorrow in life can crush us. Number one is because we have an enemy. The devil, ah, hallelujah, asanteni sana watu wa media team, munanisadia kuhubiri. There are four reasons why I think that the day-to-day sorrows that we face can crush us. And the first one is that we have an enemy, the devil, whose sole purpose is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And so when you lose your job, and it could be that God has allowed that you, you lose your job because he's preparing you to go to a different place, And the enemy comes because he wants to kill, steal, and destroy what is in you. And then after, to destroy you. He comes and whispers in your ear and tells you, "Ah, if God loves you, how can you be jobless? If God really cares for you, how can he allow that that situation goes the way it has gone? And he continuously works to ensure that he breaks and crushes you. So we have an enemy, number one. Number two, God does not give us explanations why he allows these things to happen to us. You know, sometimes you just want closure. God, why did you allow this thing to happen? Remember Job? Job was like, I have been faithful. I have, I have done everything that I should. Why did you allow these things to come into my life? And when God eventually came, God did not answer any question that Job had. Instead, God was uh, the, the, God asked Job questions. Where were you when I created uh, those animals? Leviathan. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jambi's sister. Sorry, but you are one. But you are one. <laughs> Wagura's sister. I am sorry. I apologize. It's okay, it's okay. Sorry. <laughs> God, God did not give Job explanations why he allowed these things to come into his life. You see, God would have just come and said, your faith was being tested, full stop. But chapter after chapter, God goes on telling Job, uh, are you able to sustain uh, the universe? Do you know the stars? Do you, were you there when I created them? And he, he just 
overwhelms him with his nature and who he is. And sometimes we want to ask God, where were you when my brother passed? Lord, we prayed about this thing. Why did you allow this thing to happen? Sometimes these sorrows can crush us because God does not offer us explanations why he allows them. Third reason why sorrows in life and trials may crush us uh, is because sometimes we see those who are wicked and those who are not living for God, those who are not bothered with anything to do with God, are flourishing and they are prospering in their businesses. We start a business together with my brother who who has actually declared himself an agnostic. By example here, it's not real. Uh, he's a believer, my brother. But assuming I had a brother who is an agnostic or an atheist, and we start something, and he's flourishing in his field. The field I'm in, everything is just crumbling. And when I see them who are wicked prospering, and I see my situation, I see the lack I am in, I see the sickness, I see the grief, and I see all these things that are happening to me. This thing can crush us. The fourth reason why I think trials and sorrows can crush us is because, yes, we expect God to hold everyone to account. Yes, we expect God to reward everyone who does good. But then the problem is that we expect him to do that now and not in the future. So uh, last month I was very faithful in my giving, so I'm expecting that this month my business will flourish. And if this month my business is not flourishing, then I'm like, God, so why did I give last month? We're expecting God's reward to come here and now. And you're expecting God to punish the wicked right this very second. That person who didn't pay your wages for several months. You expect God to come in his wrath and destroy that business. But he doesn't do that. Yet on our end, as we have given ourselves to serve God and we have given everything, we are not receiving our results and our rewards immediately. And that can get to crushes. Let's imagine for a minute that these trials and sorrows crush you. What are the implications if trials and sorrows crush us? And I will use examples of four different groups of people just to help us understand what it would mean to us if we allow these things to crush us. And let us start with the Israelites while they were in Egypt. They were slaves in that place. Assuming the first day that they were taken as slaves, they started praying to God and said, God, the God of our father Abraham, the God of our father Isaac and Jacob, you are a faithful God. These people have taken us as slaves. And right now, we are calling to you to set us free. The first day they prayed and waited for evening and nothing changed. And the second day and the first week and the first month and the first year, waiting on God to come through, but God did not come through. Assuming they went on praying and they prayed for a whole, a whole century, still God did not save them from slavery. What if these Israelites decided to give up on God? And they decided, let's now worship the Canaanite gods, the, uh, rather the Egyptian gods. They must be better gods anyway. The Egyptians have power over us. 
How can we say our God is faithful, yet we have called on him for a hundred years, yet he has not come through for us? What would have happened to the nation of Israel if those slaves stopped trusting in God? What would have happened? Just think about it. Second example. Moses finally is sent to go and uh, bring back the children of Israel from slavery. And he goes, he introduces himself to the elders of Israel. He then goes, approaches Pharaoh, performs the first plague. And he, he believes within himself that, ah, if I just perform a miracle from God, first plague, Pharaoh is going to allow the Israelites to go. He does the first plague. Pharaoh changes his mind. Second, pl- second plague, Pharaoh does not release, release them. Third plague, fourth plague. Man, if I was... Moses, I would be like, this thing won't work. I can do a thousand uh, plagues, but this guy won't budge. What if Moses gave up on God at the fourth plague and said, maybe I had God wrong. Maybe God did not send me. Maybe, maybe I had my own things. Maybe I was hallucinating when I saw the burning bush. Anyway, if God wants to release the children of Israel from slavery, he can do it without getting Pharaoh's permission. I'm actually, I'm actually just wasting my time here. What if Moses gave up? What if Moses' trial and sorrow crushed him? What would be the implication? The following? Thank you. Third example, Mary, the mother of Jesus, before Matthew starts, between Malachi and Matthew, there's a 400-year silence, 400-year silence, where God does not speak at all to the, to the nation of Israel. The reason I say that is because at that point, God had not released the Holy Spirit on everyone. Instead, he had appointed prophets through whom he would speak to the nation. And in that period between Malachi and Matthew, there was no prophet of God who arose in that space to tell the Israelites, this is what the Lord says. What if Mary, together with the Israelites at that point, said, God has not spoken to us for 400 years. Why are we still trusting in him? Why are we still holding on to him? He must have died. 400 years is a long time. Ama, maybe I may resign. What if Mary chose not to trust in God and was crushed by God's silence? What would have happened? A fourth example. What if Paul, I, Paul, what if Saul who was later called Paul, was crushed by the sorrows he went through. Remember, Paul is the one who wrote three quarters of the New Testament. He planted so many churches. He's the one who was at the forefront of bringing the gospel to us, the Gentiles. Now, Paul went through so much. Let me just mention part of what he went through. He faced persecution. He was stoned twice. And actually, they thought, settled to pure Mawembili, as in, he was stoned once, and they thought he was dead. And then in a different occasion, he was stoned again, and they thought he was dead. That's why they left him. He was whipped. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten by a snake. He was betrayed. He was abandoned. He was fought. Now, imagine you are Paul. 
And you're going through all this. And you believe God has sent you. You believe God has called you. And you're going through all these things. If I were Paul, I would say, I must have sent myself. Because if God was with me, uh, how can guys stone me for, as in, uh, how can guys stone me like this? And God is alive. And God is there. And God is seeing, ah, uh, this God is not there. How can I be whipped so thoroughly like this? And God exists. And God said, I am God's servant. And this thing is happening to me. Ah, no. Can't happen. What if Paul was crushed by his trials and his sorrows? And then he didn't go out on those missionary journeys. And he didn't get to write three quarters of the New Testament that we have today. What if he was crushed? What would be the implication to us today. Having said all those things, I come to what if you are crushed by your trials and your sorrows? What would be the implication? I dare say that the impact to you, to your future generations, to God's kingdom will be so big, just like for Moses. Israelites, Mary, and Paul, if they were crushed by their sorrows and their trials. You may say you don't care about uh, the impact on God's kingdom. You may say you won't be there anyway. It will be generations after you, so you don't really care. You don't really care the, the impact on other people. But there I say there will be person, a personal impact on you if you get crushed by these things. There is a danger of forfeiting all that you have already earned in terms of rewards while serving God and being faithfully uh, being faithful to him, faithfully serving him. Think of it this way. You are in this company and you have benefits when you retire. And most of us do have that. But when you retire, maybe at 65 or 70, whatever age, that there's this uh, package that you will receive when you retire. But should you be discharged dishonorably, you forfeit all the benefits that you'd have gotten. Now, you receive God when you are young, you are served faithfully, you have done all those 40 days prayer and fasting, God has been accounting all those things in your account, you have done so many things, and you have so much reward waiting for you. But because of this one situation that you are going through, and because of the four things we talked about, you are crushed and you give up on God, and you lose your faith in God, and you choose from that point on to live for yourself, then you forfeit all the rewards that you would have gotten should you have remained faithful to the very end. Now, before you ask me, Pastor Ometo, you're happy, let me read scripture. Galatians 6 verses 9 tells us, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap. But there's a command, there are some things ahead of that, if we do not give up. If we don't do what? We don't give up. Allow me to change that for the sake of our someone. If you don't get crushed. If you don't allow your, your, tempt- your, your trials and your sorrows to crush you. There's a personal implication. But aside of the personal implication, there is so, there's just so much that will happen to God's kingdom and to other people 
because you were crushed. So the question is, how do we avoid being crushed by trials and sorrows? And I will base this on the four things that would uh, catalyze our trials and our sorrows to crushes. So number one, because we do have an enemy who is looking to kill, to steal, to destroy what we have, and then to kill, steal, and destroy us, what we need to do as believers is when we find ourselves in trials and, and, and sorrows, we need to call on God like never before. And tell God, I know I can't do this in my own strength. And Lord, you have to strengthen me. I cannot afford to be crushed. I cannot afford to lose my faith. Lord, would you give me strength? Lord, would you carry me through this? And sometimes we make that prayer for other people. And you see a brother or a sister who is going through something and they are drowning. And you call to God on their behalf and say, God, remember so and so. They are grieving and it's hard and it's painful. And they are almost crashing. God, if you don't help them, they will crash. Would you help them? Praise the Lord. That is why it is very important to pray for one another. You just never know what somebody else is going through. But also you need to remind yourself of, of God's character. That he is a good, good father. And that nothing can separate us from his love. What the enemy does is he comes and taints the picture of God that we have. And he comes and tells us that God is not a loving God like we thought he was. He's not so kind. He's not so faithful. And he's not just. Because if he was just, how could I lose my job unjustly? But then in those situations, we remind ourselves that God is faithful. We remind ourselves of God's character. That he's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Number two, when God does not give us explanations why he has allowed certain circumstances into our lives, we need to remember that we are the clay and that he is the porter and he does not owe us any explanation. We are not agents with God. We are not in a, we are not in a, in, in a sort of equal partnership where I get to, he has to explain himself to me. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He speaks and the oceans listen to his voice. He is God Almighty. He is the king of kings. He does not owe us any explanation. Literally, the life that we have belongs to him. If he chooses to take it, well and good, it is his. If he allows us to enjoy it for another hundred years, well and good, it is his. Praise the Lord. Remember, we are the clay, and he is the potter. In this place, you also need to remind yourself of God's character and his ability that he can do much more with my life than I can do with my own life. If I allow him to take full control of my life, the results will be much better than if I take charge of my own life. Third thing, when we see wicked people prospering, we need to remind ourselves of God's character, that he is just and that he will hold everyone to account. Praise the Lord. He is just. There is no evil that has been done or will ever be done that will go scot-free. It could be that they have avoided the Kenyan justice system 
Oh, but they have not escaped God's justice system. They will receive what is due to them. Praise the Lord. Fourth, and this is where I will spend a bit of time. When we expect God to give us rewards for what we have done and to punish the wicked now, this is what we need to remind ourselves, that it is not yet time for God to settle accounts. Because it is not time for God to settle accounts. To say, man, during judgment is when God will settle accounts with everyone. He will reward us for everything that we have done. He will punish those who need to be punished. At the moment, He asks that we be patient, that we wait on Him waiting for that time of judgment. You know now what one does? Watch any wapatia story. What one So, Dr. Bruce Wilkinson gives this story of two missionaries who are also a couple, a husband and a wife. This is those days when uh, the, the, the main mode of transport was by ship. So they got into a ship, they came all the way to Africa, to evangelize and to preach the gospel. So they came and, and they spent their lives, I'm assuming they went uh, when they were as young as myself, and by the time they were finishing their work, they were all old and gray. And after spending their whole life as missionaries, they decided to travel back home the last few years on earth to spend with family and just to rest and retire. And so they took their few possessions, they sold that, got only enough money to be able to buy uh, the, lowest, um, the lowest class in the ship. See first class, they, they get their tickets and they, uh, they, they bought the ship. And because they have the lowest class, they, uh, they sit, or rather they, they, they live in the lowest deck in the ship. Those guys who had money and had first class, they, they, uh, they, they boarded the first tier. And so when they were approaching home, the harbor that is uh, at their home, they saw a lot of people. They saw uh, musicians. They saw people dancing. They saw a whole welcome party. And they were so happy. The husband just shed tears and told his wife, eh, my, in this case, I would be telling Alice, I didn't know that these people knew that we had given ourselves to serve God. I didn't know that people, this many people were praying for us. I didn't know that these so many people have come to receive us as heroes of faith. And he shed tears of joy. But because they were in the lowest deck, by the time they were uh, disembarking from the ship, uh, as in, they were the last people. And so by the time they were coming off, everyone had left. There was not even one person there to receive them. So what had happened is, in the same ship, there had been a, a politician who had come to Africa for a safari. And so all these people and all these musicians and all the crowd, they were all there to receive the politician. But because the politician was in first class, as soon as he disembarked, they all went with him. And so the missionaries, the two of them, disembarked with no one to receive them. And the husband again cried and told his wife, I, di- I, I, I didn't know that no one prayed for us. Any, no one knew that we had given our whole lives to serve God. No one is here to receive us as heroes of the faith. 
And his heart was broken and he cried. But I thank God for the response of the wife. Thank God for wives. Hallelujah. Hmm. The wife responded and, and told uh, this gentleman, we are not yet home. We are not yet home. When we get home, heaven, we will be received as heroes of the faith. We are not yet Let me give you a second story. There's a gentleman called Randy Alcon. He's the author of the book Money, Possessions, and Eternity. He gives this story. There were two farmers. Uh, one a believer and one an unbeliever. The unbeliever went to the believer and told him, I want to prove to you that you are trusting in God. You are going for keshas. You are praying. You are, you are fasting is not of any help to you. You're wasting time, and I'm going to prove it to you. This is how I'm going to prove it to you. This season, let us plant our crops. And at the end of the season, let us evaluate our harvest and see who has a better harvest. If I have a better harvest than you, then your God is worthless. So they went, and they planted in that season. And at the end of the season, the non-believer farmer had a better harvest than the believing farmer. And so he came boldly and told the believer, your God is worthless. He does not benefit or profit you, profit you in any way to trust and believe in God. This believer farmer, I think must have been, agenda, but must have been a wife also. Because uh, she responded and said, it is not time for God to settle accounts. It is not time for God to settle accounts. And to the non-believer, it looks as though he has won. But then the race is not yet over. I'm a that will have won. My friend, today is a marathon. I would have gone. Eh? So that I had the race of God to run in this place. <laughs> but that was just the first kilometer. Man, there's a whole 40, 41 kilometers to go. It may look as though those in business who are taking the shortcut are winning now. But it's only lap one. It's only the first kilometer. It is not yet time for God to settle accounts. First Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and immovable. Always excel in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I like to encourage us, church, that it is not in vain what we do to God. It is not in vain that we gather here each morning to call upon the name of the Lord. It is not in vain that we meet two people or three people doing the midweek prayer service and pray. It is not in vain. This works and a posture of heart and a right posture of heart as we do this works will determine how our stay in heaven will be and what our rewards in heaven will be. So there will be a difference between the seat warmer and, and the guys who are serving here in the worship team. There will be a difference. Because God is just. We will not all receive the same. They are not custom-made mansions in heaven. They are all the same. No. Uh-uh. Depends on your works. Now, I'm not saying your works will get you to heaven. Now, if you do the good works and do not have Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, what it will do to you, it will... Your fire in hell will not be as hot as others 
<laughs> but you will still go to hell. Good. First Corinthians uh, 3.13. Each one's work will be clearly shown for what it is. For the day of judgment will disclose it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality and character and worth of each person's work. I may have done the work, but the posture of my heart was wrong. I was doing it so that you say, ah, Pastor Kibet, praise. And you give me all the munisifu. Jesus, yes, well, likashifu, likashifu English ninini. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees who were praying in the corners of the city so that people would see that they are prayerful. And they would pray repeated long prayers so that people would give them praise. And God says they have already received their reward. So what is the posture of your heart? As you do these works, yes, are you doing it so that people see you? Are you doing it so that you feed your ego? Are you doing it so that you feel better that, hey, I gave so I, I want to feel better. Or are you doing it with God as the only audience for an audience of one? If the posture of your heart was wrong, the fire will consume it. But if you did it with a clear, clean, pure heart, you will receive your rewards in heaven. Let me mention just five rewards, five crowns. Time. Um... Five crowns that we will receive in heaven, and I will just rush through them because our time is almost up. I will blame this on my wife. You took a lot of time. Yes, yes. But anyway, see, she's a very good uh, service leader. Hey, guy, please forgive me. We will receive a crown, not we, sorry. Some people will receive a crown of life, and this will be given to those who are fa- who. Uh, were given to faithfulness to Christ in persecution and martyrdom. Some of us face persecution at work because we are believers in Nini, but there are people in other nations who are actually killed for their faith. These people will receive a crown of life in heaven. There are those who will receive an incorruptible crown. This will be given for the determination, discipline, and living a victorious Christian life. There are believers who are not determined in their spirituality. There are those who are not disciplined. You tell them, do your daily devotions. Like, I, I will do it when I find time. Yeah, this crown is not for you. The third crown is for the crown of rejoicing. This will be given to those who are pouring themselves to evangelize and to, uh, and to make disciples. The crown of rejoicing. And we continually cry to you, would you make disciples? Are you making disciples? And we have someone seriously about making disciples. And we challenge you to do it, but you refuse to do it. The crown of rejoicing is not yours. The crown of glory will be given to those who are faithfully representing Christ in a position of spiritual leadership. You are an e-group leader and you are faithful. This crown is yours. You are a ministry leader. You are faithful. The crown of glory is yours. The fifth crown is the crown of righteousness, which will be given for the joyfully, for joyfully purifying and reading oneself for Christ's return. Joyfully and uh, joyfully purifying and reading oneself to meet Christ when he returns. Some of us will receive no crown whatsoever. Are not everything that we will receive in heaven, but there are rewards that we will receive in heaven based 
the good works that we are doing while we are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light and momentary affliction. Remember we started with, in this world we will face many trials and sorrows. You remember? Good. So, for our current sorrows and tribulations that we are facing right now, that is being poor, uh, that is producing for us an eternal weight of glory that is far be beyond in comparison. For we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our eyes and our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For things that we can see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. So, what have I been saying for this past 30 minutes? Number one, trials and sorrows will come. Number two, if you allow the trials and sorrows to crush you, the impact to you, to God's kingdom, and to others will be huge. Three, God is not settling accounts now. Four, if you have rejected Jesus, oh sorry, if you have received Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you, you are sure that you'll go to heaven. Five, in heaven, we will not have the same mansions and rewards. Six, our rewards in heaven will be based on our works on earth. Seven, if our works on earth are few, then our rewards in heaven will be few. But if our works on, uh, on earth are many, then our rewards in heaven will be many. Number eight, not every good work will receive a reward in heaven. Each work will be tested by fire, and only those done out of a pure heart receive a reward. Those done for God's. When you see some of us sacrificially serve God, go beyond our comfort zones, what is convenient to us, what is hard and painful, serve God, it's because we know something. Because we know there's a reward coming. Our life on earth is just but a passing shadow. Our eternity is going to be so long. I'd rather sacrifice my comfort in this short life and have a beautiful eternity. So when you hear us, your pastors and your leaders, continually ask you to serve in ministry, when we ask you to make disciples and to evangelize, and when we ask you to come for PPI on, on Fridays, and when we ask you to deliberately raise your children in the ways of the Lord, it is because we want that when you get to heaven, you will also have a great reward. Ecclesiastes 12:13. Now, all has been hard. I hope you have heard everything. Now, all has been hard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commands, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whatever is good or evil. I'd like to pray for somebody here who has, a, has never given their life to the Lord. Now, you may be doing good works, but without Christ... Your fire will just be lesser than Akina Hitler. But you'll still be in the fire. 
you are here and you'd like to give your life to the Lord, I'd like to request you just to put up your hand and I'll pray with you. You have never given your life to the Lord. Jesus spoke and said, I am the way, truth, and life, and no one goes to the Father except through me. The only way to be with God is to receive Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, that he may, he may forgive you of your sins and reconcile you with God. Anyone? Just by show of hands. Anyone? Okay. The rest of us, I'd like to request us just to bow down our heads and pray and, and respond to God in prayer. I believe he has spoken to you something. Either he has reminded you of a truth that you already knew or he has taught you something new. Would you just respond in prayer and tell God, this is what I hear you say and this is my response to you. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that you will give me and all of us the strength that, Lord, we will not be crushed by trials and sorrows that will come. You said there will be many and they will come. So, Lord, help all of us that we will not be crushed, that our hope will not be quenched, that, Lord, we will not give up on you. That, Lord, we will keep praying for that issue even though we have prayed for so many decades so far. That we will not give up, but we will keep persisting in prayer. That, Lord, we will be patient with you, realizing, Father, that you are not settling accounts now. And even though the wicked may feel that they are prospering, it's only lap one and we have a lot more to go. Lord, would you help us to continually remember your character, that you are faithful and you are loving and you are kind, even when it does not feel like it. Help me and help us to remember that always. When we are faced with crises of faith and midlife crisis and issues that we face, oh Lord, may they not crush us, Lord. Help us, Father, to arise by faith as we put our trust in you. Lord, I pray also, realizing that, Lord, there's a great reward that is waiting for those of us who will be faithful, those who will live a life obedient to you, those of us who will give ourselves sacrificially to serve you. Would you help all of us and myself to be faithful in obeying you and in serving you and in using your money that you have given us for your kingdom? Because, Lord, when we leave this earth, we will carry nothing with us. We may have those beautiful things, but we will leave all of them. But we can only go with that which we sent ahead, that which we used for your purposes and for your kingdom. Father, as we end our service today, we invite you to go with us, be with us throughout this week, and help us to represent you to the fullest possible extent out there. 
until Sunday when we come back and refresh and be, ref- be filled again that we may go out and do your work. And this we pray in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to share the benediction in a minute. But allow me just to remind you something. My work and our work as pastors is to equip you that you may go out and do the work of ministry. So go out into, uh, into the week and do ministry and do God's work. Sawa, sawa. Um, as we end service, there's a cup of tea. I'm told Kate prepared it this month. Last month it was our lead pastor, Reverend Goy, who prepared the tea and the mandazis. This month I'm told it's Kate. Uh, on a light note. Lakini kuna chai. Please let's exit with this uh, front door and grab a cup of tea and let us fellowship together. Share with your, uh, the person will be taking tea with what you learned, what you took home, what you disagreed in the sermon. And I know the Lord will bless us. Allow me to invite us to be upstanding as I share the benediction. Our blessing today, benediction just means blessing, eh? So our blessing today comes from the book of Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. Before, before I do that, forgive me. I'd like to appreciate every family member who has come to celebrate with those who are graduating today. Tuwapigie makofi. Sana. Thank you so much for making time to come. Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. May the God of peace, whom through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. Remember you're going out to do his will, yeah? May he equip you with everything to do his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us share in the words of the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Have a lovely week. Namubarikiwe. <laughs>